I started this series on Romans sometime back, and, uh, and, and today, as it happens, and which is appropriate because we're coming into this holiday Thanksgiving season, I'm actually at Romans chapter five, and so the topic will be kind of about uh, you know, thanksgiving and the righteousness of God. It's Adam, Adam explained, okay? Like, you know, last time I spoke, we talked about Abraham and Abra the faith of Abraham that we all partake of. And, and then it, the chapter four ends with, and this was not only for his sake, but for ours as well. And so we applied Abraham to all of us, which is why he's the father of all who believe. Hallelujah. And it was counted... You know, his faith was counted to him as righteousness before he did anything, <laughs> which is great, <laughs> Genesis 15, 6. But, you know, when God transforms us, he makes us zealous for good works. Okay, so now we're going to explain Adam to you today, which will be tremendous, but I'm just giving you, a, trying to encourage you. But the, uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll look at, at Romans, but let's pray, because some of this is it's so deep that my brain can hardly go there, so I'm gonna read part of it, because you ever have great, great ideas, and then when you try to say them, it didn't come out the way that you thought? So this is why occasionally we have to write things down. So holy, let's pray the Holy Spirit will help us all, okay? You ready? Holy Spirit, thank you that you come and you live inside us and you pour out the love of God that you give us hope, that you bring us into communion with the Father and the Son, that you, you speak to us mysteries and you make them known. And we just bless you, Holy Spirit. Be our teacher and guide today and reveal to us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and the wonder of the Father's goodness and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... Okay, let's start, just quick review, you know, in case you, this is the first time you've been here, the, Paul's letter to the Romans, he was, is the longest of his letters, it's in the New Testament, and he wrote it to the Romans whom he had, he had never been to Rome, and so he wrote a letter because he hoped to go to Rome, and, uh, but he had met Christians from Rome, so he was aware of the, the miraculous spread of the gospel, into the capital of the Roman Empire, the heart of the beast, you know. So he writes this letter, and it ends up being the most, you know, thorough exposition, the most complete exposition of the basic uh, fundamentals of, of our faith, of Christianity. He, and so it's, it's an amazing, he answers all these questions that we didn't know enough to ask. And, uh, but when you get the answer, you realize, oh, I, that explains things, and sometimes if you read Romans and you just kind of power your way through it, you sort of get lost like you're reading lecture notes from some you know, professor of philosophy or something, and you say, wait a minute, I'm just a freshman, and I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be a phys ed major, and I don't you know, but anyway, it's actually, when, when, we, when we take some time and unfold it, it is absolutely life-giving and rich, so I just... Quickly, you know, the, the Romans, the letter of Romans and pretty much anything in the Bible is actually about the good news, you know, the gospel, which is that God has the power to save and that he 
has acted upon that and, and released that good news, and it's in Jesus. So Romans 1.16 is a real key verse. Uh, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the declaration that the kingdom of heaven has invaded planet Earth. And it is for it, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So this is why the gospel's a big deal. We're not talking about gospel music or gospel crusades. We're talking about God's good news of his triumph over sin, that he abolished death <laughs> and, and brought life and more immortality to light. Okay, so verse 17. Oh, I don't think I finished it. It's to everyone who believes, which is to the Jew first. They were the covenant people of God, still very important to God, and also to the Greek, which is the general term for everybody else. Okay, so it includes all us goy. Okay, or goyim, plural. Okay, 17, for in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the, actually the central word that is used all through, it, you know, kind of guides Paul in his writing is this concept of righteousness and specifically the righteousness of God. Righteousness is like one of those religious words that, you know, we're not sure what it means. In the 60s, there was a group called the Righteous Brothers and, you know, they, lo- you know, they sang sad songs about you lost that love and feeling and, and uh, it's gone, gone, gone. <laughs> anyway, and, and they unchained the melody and all that stuff, but... God's righteousness is his relational faithfulness. He keeps his promises and he doesn't get a bad attitude, you know? I mean, that's like a non-religious definition of righteousness. It means you're completely right in legal standing, but it's much more than that. It's a relational word, the, the, you know, the rabbinical understanding of tzedakah, which is the Hebrew word translated righteousness, is that you're relationally faithful to covenants you enter into. And, that, that, and so Paul, Paul said, as concerning righteousness, I was faultless, you know, and, you know, as far as keeping the law, until Jesus showed him a higher righteousness. But anyway, so that, the gospel is the theme of the thing, and so, the issue to, that we're going to look at today is that Adam falls, but Jesus saves. You know, it sounds like a cliche, Jesus saves, but he does. He rescues, he delivers, and he heals, and he undoes what at, the mess Adam gets into and got us all into. But before we go there, we're still in chapter one, there's a real issue here, and it's actually the, un, it's the, the underlying issue of Adam's failure. So... It's in Romans 1.28. It has to do with suppressing truth and denying reality. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God, now the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Like we do not wanna deal with reality, we wanna make up our own. I may have been born one way, but I, anyway, I won't go there. So but you've already been there. So, okay, the wrath of God is not that he's emotionally out of control. 
Sometimes people say, well, you know, I really like Christianity, but that angry father business, I just can't, child abuse and all this. It's all distortions and lies from the enemy. Come on, you know, the, uh, anyway, I was talking to a young man earlier today who's attending a, a university, a temple, actually, and one of his professors is teaching them that Karl Marx was a much better person than Thomas Jefferson. And, uh, and I said, well, this is indoctrination. We should be very concerned about spending $40,000 a year as parents to send our children to be subjected to that, don't you think? So, and, uh, and likewise, they're being trained so that they say the same things to high schoolers, junior highs, and down to kindergartners. I'm telling you, this is the best country in the world. Hallelujah. And I'm, I mean, it's unique in nations among the earth. Okay. All these side tra trails, I didn't get to the first service. And I hope, and it, some people are thankful for that. But the, uh, anyway, the wrath of God is not an emotion, but it's, it's God's attitude towards sin. His wrath is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. It's God, you know, God has no sin in him, and so his attitude towards sin is he doesn't like it, it bugs him, it's dishonoring to him, but how he, his wrath is expressed at this point is that he allows cause and effect to play out, and that's the wrath of God. And how many know the mercy of God is that have you, any of you gotten away with something that you didn't pay the full price for? Nobody? Oh, you don't want to admit it because you're afraid people ask you what it is. Me, me too. Okay, the, uh, that's the mercy of God. But the wrath of God is toward ungodliness and sin. And it allows this, this cause and effect. And the cause is sin and the effect is disaster. That's the wrath of God. Okay, now one day on that very last day, everybody's gonna pray. All right, so, and there will be a judgment for, you know, of everything that's ever happened in the universe, which people say, how can God permit evil? Well, he's going to take care of it, but it's in the waiting. Okay, so, which is really good for most of us. Otherwise, we would have all been smashed by the time we were 15 <laughs> by judgment, you know. Okay, loss, so, and what this, so the, the issue is suppressing the truth and it, it expresses itself in verse 21, uh, for, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, then the foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now this is, you know, deals with everybody, but this is specifically where Adam failed, you know, that he knew God. And actually, Paul goes on and says, everybody, God reveals himself in nature, we're all without excuse. You know, that his divine attributes, his power, and, and his exceeding wisdom are all revealed through the things that are made, and they're plainly seen, which means they're intellectually perceived. But although they knew God, they didn't honor him. So the, the real issue with, with Adam is he did know God, and he did not give thanks. Now, the result of all of that, and we, and we all you know, we're born in Adam, we get born again in Christ. But when we're born in Adam, we tend to choose things that aren't good for us. Has anyone ever made that mistake? You ever buy a car you wish you hadn't? Just saying, okay. So the consequences of like living a life that doesn't honor God and isn't a life of 
Thanksgiving is three. Uh, the consequences is rational futility. They became futile in their thinking. In other words, confusion. Any confusion around here? Okay, the second is their hearts, were, their foolish hearts were darkened. They became foolish. Their hearts became foolish because their, thinking, their irrational thinking is futile. Okay, so their foolish hearts were darkened, which means we, that we are subjected to dark longings. We want things that aren't good for us. These are called, by theologians, disordered desires. And rather than desiring that which is good, that which is is wholesome and holy and stuff. We just want a little bit of something. And the world is filled with opportunities and, and sales pitches for things that aren't good for us. God save our children from pornography on, on cell phones. I mean, God save us all from lies that, are, that get repeated so many times that people think, yeah, that's what's important. Listen, as a, as a kid growing up in an unchurched family, I, you know, I got my worldview from pop music, you know, and the, the worldview of the pop music of the 60s was, was mild compared to what's being pushed on, on children today. This is saying, pay attention. Okay, and then the last one is, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Self-deception, false identities. Been there? Okay, the good news is, this isn't all bad, but we wanna set the stage for Adam. Okay, is that Jesus restores more than Adam lost. Romans 3.21, now we're up to chapter three. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law because we can't keep, we can't keep the rules. But the righteousness of God comes to us apart from the law. We don't earn it. The righteousness of God, verse 22, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's given to us. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, sometimes people think, I'm good. That's just because you don't know what real good is. You know, I'm, just, you know <laughs> I'm good compared to my bad brother, but when I see Jesus and I stand in his presence, man, all of a sudden I'm like, I have nothing to say. <laughs> you know, <laughs> have mercy. Okay, uh, so fall short of the glory of God. And here's the good news, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So grace is given to us as a gift that we're justified, which means God doesn't see us as the criminals that we are, he sees us as the children that he has adopted through Jesus Christ. Come on, you know, like, so God is no longer our judge, he's our father. And he is committed, and at the moment of justification, your rap sheet is dissolved. All the charges against you are dissolved. The court case is canceled, it's thrown out, it's a mistrial, and actually it's better than a mistrial, you're declared innocent by Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> hallelujah, he's your defense attorney. That's. That's actually in 1 John chapter two, verse one. <laughs> okay, now, so, and then, you know, so this justification comes by faith, and Abraham was the first example of this. He, wa he was justified just because he believed God's promise, even when it seemed impossible. And in that moment, Genesis 15, six, he beheld the stars, God spoke to him the promise of many children that he couldn't count, and he believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. Put him in the righteous column. And the amazing thing is you stay there. 
Come on. And it doesn't mean everything inside you is, is all worked out and great and you're, you know, it takes a lot of years to totally undo all the stupidity. But some people get it really fast. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not saying you can't get it in a day. I'm just saying it's a sign and wonder if you do. And <laughs> okay, so now we come into chapter five. And by the way, the, it, chapter four ends and says, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Hooray! It, and it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the, from the dead Jesus our Lord. And so the faith of Abraham is conferred upon us, and the whole story of his, his justification by faith is not written only for him, it's written for us who believe. And so we get into chapter five, and, and, and Paul begins to just like unfold the riches of redemption uh, 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, once we were his enemies, but now we're at peace. And, you, and, and oh, man, you know, and this is just the best news you could ever have. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all in Christ. If any, you know, and so when we're in Christ, when we invite Jesus into us, so we've just invited someone into our lives who's way bigger than we are, and our, the description of our condition is that we're in Christ. We say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Yep. And he swallows us up. <laughs> kind of like the little teacup saying, would you give me a filling? And it's, you know, the whole ocean falls on you. Okay. Now, on top of that, we have access to God. We have free access. Romans 5, 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Yay, once we stood condemned in Adam, now we stand completely justified in Christ's grace. And, and this gives us hope. This is the, the next benefit that... Uh, the end of verse two, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Instead of fearing that day when we'll stand before his throne, we're rejoicing and we're exciting about it. And the older I get, the more excited I am about it. And don't worry, I'm not gonna like try to get out early, but I am, I, I spend a lot of time, especially at my age, you know, it's sort of wise, maybe at any age, to think about the day when you die or when the Lord returns. Either way, we're gonna stand before him. And I don't know about you, but I wanna hear well done, good and faithful servant. You know, like, oh, what a relief, you know, because you're kind of going like, you know, how's it going? Anyway, <laughs> well done, oh! <laughs> hey, I passed, you know, all right. Hooray! Was it, this was pass-fail, huh? No. no, there are rewards. Okay, that's a whole different subject. But the, uh, not only that, verse three, we rejoice not just in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our senseless sufferings are doing something for us. And they actually are full of meaning and they're producing character and endurance and all of this stuff. And it, and it comes out that it gives us hope. And verse five tells us, and this is the next benefit, is we experience the endless love of God. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And actually, it's not just poured into us, and, but it, it's installed inside us as a fountain of living waters that can affect the world around us. That's pretty powerful thing for, you know, I was just a sinner and I put my trust in Jesus and, and all of this stuff happens to me. 
and the half has never been told. Okay, now the next thing, the next great benefit is reconciliation down in verse 10, five verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom, from whom we, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so what does it mean that we've been reconciled to God? Reconciliation means that people who were at odds with each other are restored to friendly relationship. Kind of like the husband and wife, you know, they, they, they got mad one, <laughs> and they got separated and somehow by the grace of God they get put back together and they have a second honeymoon or maybe a third honeymoon. You know, they are madly in love and more thankful than they were before. Reconciliation means, you have to understand, God loves the world. His wrath is against sin and unrighteousness, not against the people. God already loved us. We're the ones who are reconciled to him. And then we become ambassadors of Christ and we carry in, in ourselves this message that, to the world around us, be reconciled to God. He's not mad at you. His wrath is toward your sin, not you. <laughs> Come on, unless you wanna you know, persist in your sin. Okay, so, so now we get to this issue. How, oh good, we have enough time. We get to ch- verse 12. This is a turning point in, in understanding why the world is messed up. I almost said screwed up, but then I thought, well, I'm not sure if that sounds right. But I, I just mean it's all out of order, okay? So, and I didn't mean it in a bad way. Okay, but sin enters the world through Adam. But how it actually enters the, what Adam's issue is that he's not honoring God and he's not thankful to God. And so, Let's read verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's a pretty, like, oh, you're the one? Uh, And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, which means human beings, not males, okay? Just, so, could we get free from politically correct speech? Really, seriously. For thousands of years, people speak languages and they understand that that word men means humans. It doesn't mean males, it means humans. But, you think it just went to males? Deliver us from feminism, which is a form of, not femininity, just the, the, it's a cultural Marxist strategy to divide people and create oppressors and victims. And so in the 60s, you know, with, with all these great women who were all pro-abortion, they started promoting feminism, Gloria Steinem and those ones, and started, you know, she wrote a bestseller book, I don't know if it's Gloria Steinem. Okay, but I'm just saying, can we, do we have to understand all this stuff about pronouns and what words you can and can't use is it's a lie being foisted upon our culture to divide people. And Jesus comes to unite people and thy word is truth. Okay, 
So we can use whatever language the Bible uses. We don't have to apologize. Okay, sorry for the long thing. But, so, but the issue is, so wait, 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 but, but what was his sin? Okay, now you have to listen to this, okay? Pay attention. At creation, man is hungry. And he has appetites. And so he's blessed, he's told to procreate. And then, by the way, well, but what are we going to eat is a big issue. And so God gives him the entire world as his banquet table. Not exactly, but almost. Listen to this. Genesis 1.29, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed and every tree with seed in its root, and you shall have them for food. That's a lot. Do you think in a lifetime they could taste every amazing plant and fruit from trees that there was? I mean, you know, they could get stuck on avocados for a week. They could get stuck on mangoes for a month. They could, be, you know... I'm just saying, it's just like, whoa, I'm gonna have to live at least a thousand years to even begin to taste all the amazing things on earth. But, and why would God provide such a lavish feast for this creature who's unique among all creation, bearing the image of God? Adam must eat in order to live. And so, but here's what he's saying. You, Adam, you take from creation and you eat it and it gets transformed in your body into flesh and blood in my image. So it's like this, this sacramental life that, that Adam's living, that he realizes I only exist because I am created me. But he didn't just create me like he created the dolphin or the orangutan or the whale or the elephant. He created me in his image and I'm unique. I, I'm the only one who has this language, who has rational thought, who can see the world something like my creator sees it. And I am in this universe to make it holy and to transform it from not just matter and energy, but into a spiritual communion with the very nature of the creator. So, so that's a pretty big assignment, but it's fun because the whole world is given to him as a banquet table. And so, and the idea, feasts are very important to God, which is good because what's gonna happen on Thursday for some of us is a feast and we're gonna worry about eating too much. And I'll just say, let your conscience be your guide, but God doesn't condemn feasts. He sets them up three times a year. <laughs> Shall you <they> all come? <laughs> okay, but so the... Uh, it, you know, all through, you know, so actually human existence starts with the idea of a feast at creation, but it's also at its fulfillment. And all through, you have the, the feasts of Israel, and then Jesus comes, so the, you know, the artisan is in the paint. The playwright took the stage, the architect inside the plan. I love that song, The Arrival. But, but so what does he do? His first sign is at the wedding of Cana. And then they ran out of wine, but basically he kept the feast going. 
Then there's the feeding of the 5,000 where uh, you know, inadequate supplies became more than 5,000, maybe 20,000 people could eat because John's gospel tells us they didn't count women and children. Sorry, women and children. But, but I mean, God actually loves uh, women and children. That was very clear in the ministry of Jesus. But so he takes that and there's so much left over that they fill 12 huge baskets with what's left over. That's a feast, right? A good meal is, mm, that's great. A feast is, I am in pain, I can't eat anymore. Come on, there's more, I know, I just, honest, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know. So this is a feast, it's there throughout. And then, then you have the issue of the Last Supper, which Vinny talked about. Vinny and I didn't compare notes ahead of time, that's amazing that he was talking about. The, you know, that he gonna, he's gonna end his earthly life with a feast. And so, then there's, you know, after his resurrection, there's the road to Emmaus where he's walking along and they don't see him and he's revealed when they sit down to eat at the breaking of the bread. And then one of my favorite ones is in Luke 24 where the disciples are hiding from the Jews because of fear, even though they're all Jews themselves. They're, <laughs> they're hiding <laughs> from their fears and Jesus just pops in through the walls, comes right through the walls of their fears, and he says, fear not, it's me, you know, it's I. It is I, proper English. I'm sure he spoke proper Aramaic or Hebrew, whatever they spoke, or maybe just spoke Galilean slang, we're not sure, but, but, he, but he said, then he said, hey, it's me, you know, feel me, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, and et cetera, and then it says, while they still disbelieved for joy. They were so, their minds were absolutely blown. They're, oh, it's all true. They were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now, obviously, he didn't need to eat, but this, God loves meals, okay? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And I think, man, that fish may have been the only fish in all of creation that was caught and was broiled and was served directly to God. Just saying, yeah, it's pretty. And then we have, at the end of time, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Ho, oh, you know, this is, it, Revelation 19 starts out with this amazing hallelujah declaration, singing, and then it goes into the issue of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And even when Jesus is talking to them, you know, he says they're gonna come from the east and west and they're gonna sit down with us at the table. So we're talking about tables here. Now, why is this an issue to God? Because we're hungry. We're, especially if you ever had boys, you know, they're hungry. Teenage boys, they just eat more food than you can. You can't figure out how that goes into their skinny bodies and they're still skinny. And some of us look at it and it's no fun anymore. Okay, but, but all our hunger is hunger for God. And God hardwired us to be hungry for the infinite, the eternal, that the fullness of existence. You ever have that feeling like there's gotta be more? See, that's, we're, we're hungry for the I amness of I am. You know, that, for, for knowing and being known, you know, that we, we're, we wish we knew more. I wish I, could, I wish I could 
think thoughts like this and just say them without having to write them down. I want, and then every one of us, we want, isn't there somebody who really knows me? I just feel so lonely and misunderstood. Like these are hungers that we have and they're really for God. They're legitimate hungers. And, and so we could say that, that enjoy and pleasure, and people run after it, and in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. All this is good, we're wired for it. Now, the mistake is if we try to get it out of creation in, without reference to God. So behind all this hunger in our life is God. Isn't that good? Do you feel like un, uncondemned now? Like, man, I just wanna eat. Yeah, I wish this preacher would shut up and I could go eat. So the... Um, but <laughs> I know it's just your real desire is for him. <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says you're really happy, blessed, if you realize that what you're really hungry for, really thirsty for, is righteousness. This righteous relationship with God and with man. And so, but humans are unique in creation because the human alone is to bless God for the food and the life he receives. Your dog, as nice as he is, never thinks about it. He's happy, he doesn't worry, unless he doesn't get food. And when you leave, he'll go up on the counter and eat the beef that you left there. And, um, and then when you come home, he'll run and hide and hold his head down. But that's just fear. It's not like he really understands. It's just he's hungry. But our hunger uh, brings us to the place where we can give thanks and bless God for the life we receive and the food he gives. And, and we're the only ones who respond to God's blessing with blessing. Oh, do you ever, right, Paul wrote to Timothy, all, everything God made is good and as long as we give thanks for it. And by the word and by our prayer, it's made holy becomes supernatural, like this is really the issue here with Adam, and so God blessed the world, he blessed, he blessed man, he blessed time, he blessed the seventh day, I mean, he entered into blessing the sequence of time and providing for, for our need for rest, and he fills all that exists with his love and goodness, and he made it very good. And so our response is to bless God in return, to thank him, but here's the thing, in doing this, we're standing as priests in the middle of creation. Like God gave us the role to unite creation with creator. By taking the creation, it's a simple act of thanksgiving that's so powerful that it goes right by us because the world around us is built on discontentment. But we're saying, God, this is awesome. It's all I have is this little these two little fishes and these little things that, and I see this vast multitude before me, I say, God, this is awesome. And it unites creation with creator and releases the creative activity, the life-giving activity of God into creation, just saying. And so that, that we, you know, we as human beings and as born again human beings, redeemed, brought back into Christ, can stand as a priest in the midst of the universe, unifying it through the act of blessing. We receive this world, this from God, and we offer it to him in worship. 
And it, it not only transforms us, but it transforms the world around us. This is why we give thanks for our food. This is why we actually give offerings. God's not poor. When we give offerings, we're just saying, God, you've been good to us. We're giving you this little bit. You know, he doesn't want all the trees and all the cattle on a thousand hills and all the gold and silver. It's already his. He just wants us in this act of giving thanks through offering our thanks and our gratitude to him. Is that stunning? So what, so how do, okay, so Adam abdicated that priesthood and verse 14 says, death reigned from Adam to Moses. How did he abdicate his priesthood? He ate the forbidden fruit. The fruit of that tree, every tree on planet earth was blessed by God as food for for the humans, for Adam and Eve. But that tree was the only tree in the garden that was not offered as a gift to man. And it was not given, and it was not blessed, and it was food whose eating would bring Adam out of communion with God and into communion with creation as an end in itself. See what he, this is why it was such a disaster. Because, I mean, he's kind of, he's, they're innocent. They've only heard truth. And the serpent comes along, hey, you know, it's good. And it was good because everything God makes is good. And it was desirable for food. And it was desirable to make one wise, which was a lie because they were already in the image and likeness of God. And it created this need for something that was beyond the boundaries of their covenant. And how many times we get tempted by things that aren't for us. You ever bought a car you shouldn't buy? I mean, you know, thank God. These are not like life, eternal life and eternal death things. But at, at this point in Adam, because Adam is, is the head of all creation at this point. So when he does this, he does this as a, a what the theological word is a federal head. Like whatever he does is representative because God has set him in dominion over the universe, even though he's just in a little garden. And so we may be like, ah, it doesn't really matter what I do, but it does, okay? So when he eats it, it's communion. He's have, now he's shifting from communion with the creator to the creation, and it's the world, it's loving the world for itself, which a lot of people, if they don't know God, that's they think, figure, hey, that's all there is. You just get one life, you know, I'm gonna get everything out of it I can. And it's like, this is the lie. And he's, at that point, he ceased to be the priest of the world and became its slave. And he chose only the appearance of life. He chose to eat in a way that would return him to the ground. And so God speaks to him, Genesis 3, 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so what Adam lost was endless life and the power to transform the world into life. And he ceased to be the priest, and, and he left the garden. And this, this kind of is a scary meditation, but God came to them in the cool of the day, which meant the evening, and he spoke to him, hey, where are you guys? You know, so they had to play hide and seek with God. And then they came out with their sad little fig leaves and blamed each other. And, and, you know, so by the time he got through saying, well, okay, here's the consequences, talked to the serpent, said, well, 
That woman that you tricked, she's gonna have a son one of these generations who's gonna crush your head. And you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna stomp that head off of you, poisonous snake. And so, hooray. <laughs> anyway, the, but so, so, but you know, in all that, so, but he goes out of the garden and it's night. Evening falls. And I imagine like, feeling like, uh, I think we really blew it, you know? Like they're outside of paradise at night and they can't get back in. God has been kind to me, covered them with skins and all this stuff. So, okay, but now the good news. Verse 15, the free gift. All right, this is what this is all about. It's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more shall the grace of God and the free gift by grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for, the judgment, for judgment followed the one trespass and brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, the free gift, this is amazing. God actually gives us a get out of jail free card. It's the free gift. And the free gift was the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ, who took away all our guilt. So it was free for us, it wasn't free for the Lamb of God, but he did it for the joy set before him. What an amazing God. This is, he demonstrates his love for us because Jesus died for us. We read these things and just think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is amazing that we were all in Adam's condition, living in this world without, like knowing that there's an eternal, infinite goodness, but unable to access us, and God gives us access as a free gift. Oh my gosh, this is hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Jesus is the priest and the offering, and in offering himself up, he took all the sins, he took all of creation on himself, this is why, the artisan is inside the paint so he can gather all of creation, present it as an offering, and at, with his last breath say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He sanctified everything by that offering. And now it's available to everyone who will say, I believe that, I thank you for it. Now, what's amazing is we're gonna go back to the issue. Adam ate bread that brought death, so some of this we don't understand because we don't know the way that they thought at this time. John 6, 51, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. Remember, Adam's gonna eat bread that comes from the ground and he's gonna go back into the ground. He, he, the earthly man is of the earth. Jesus, who comes from heaven, is the bread that comes down from heaven so one may eat and not die. Ah. Oh. It's reversing the curse. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So you won't go into the ground, your body will go into the ground, but your spirit will live forever. And the bread that I will give, listen who it's for, for the life of the world is my flesh. God so loved the world. He's actually, I mean, he's saving us so that through us, in, somehow through our lives, I mean, it's, it's beyond my pay grade to, to fully lay this out, but he will save the entire cosmos. 
that he's reconciling all things to himself in Christ, and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, much more, verse 17. Uh, much more, we're, we not only that, but that royal authority is returned to us. For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one, that one man. Isn't that amazing? That Adam, I'm so glad, I want to meet Adam. You know, I want to say thank you, Adam. If you hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have had such an amazing redeemer. But don't you feel guilty? No, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Because I'll be in the light. You know, like, what, you know, I mean, there's a, oh, Felix Culpa, it was a medieval meditation, like, what an amazing guilt Adam brought that brought such a wondrous redeemer. Thank you, God. So, so because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance, the overflow, the infinite ocean of grace and the free gift of righteousness. He became guilty so I can become innocent. He became guilty so you can be innocent. That how much more shall we reign in life? See, he's restored that authority, maybe more than Adam had, through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now the law came to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more and the law brought a consciousness of, of sin. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, which it reigned over the whole world, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. What an honor to be a priest and to give thanks. So I want you to stand up to give you hope. And I, I'm gonna try not to disappoint you, you know, that I won't go on forever. But do you understand, like, we think giving thanks, uh, this, I love Thanksgiving. It's our favorite family holiday, always was with our kids, because it was mostly about spending time together and eating. Now, I realize some of you might be thinking, I'm gonna be alone at Thanksgiving. I feel kind of sad and lonely, and I pray that God opens up doors for you. It's a very legitimate need, but if you're alone, what if you just give thanks? God, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I have something to eat even though I'm not a good cook and I don't have anyone to share it with me. I'm just saying, what if we could get free from self-pity, which was the, the entrance of the deceiver into the thinking of Eve, who had everything, but you know, everything advertising tends to make us discontent. So what if we give thanks in all things for everything and it would set us free and it's our priesthood that brings creation into heaven and releases a unifying of heaven and earth that actually it, it is the precursor. This is why prayer with thanksgiving is the powerful precursor to revival and reformation and all the stuff we hope happens and we're living for like but it starts here that we live lives of proclamation and thanksgiving his throne is established he's enthroned on the praises of israel on the, his covenant people and when you begin to thank him that counts as praise okay so i just want to give you like i so this is like so heavy like okay charles said 
I'm a priest and somehow I'm going to this gathering and most of my favorite relatives can't come, but all the dysfunctional ones are coming, <laughs> including me. And, uh, and God, I know I'm gonna lose it. I know by two o'clock, I'm just gonna, all my joy will be gone. And I, God, I, I don't wanna yell at anybody. And so I'm not trying to go like, yeah, just remember all this. Cause I can, it's just like revelation. It's the Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives some really, you know, Paul has these deep things and then he gives this totally practical advice. Let me read some to you. This is good advice for gatherings and for going to work and for life in general. Ephesians 5, verse 15. So here's my formula, and I, why am I preaching this? I'm preaching to myself because I'm going to a family gathering, and what was going to be a certain kind of family gathering that we were very focused on got expanded to this crazy, like, I hope it's not a disaster gathering. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so Ephesians 5.15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but, in, un, but as wise. In other words, like, be mindful, that's a big phrase, right? Like be aware of our own behavior. And then don't be stupid, that's the rest of the verse, okay? Be smart. Verse 16, it's great, you know, you can never call someone stupid to their face unless they're in your family, but the, uh... <laughs> but you know, you can't go up to somebody, hey, stupid, you know, that you'll get a fist sandwich, okay. At least you used to in back before it was politically incorrect. Okay, so look, look how, be aware, don't be stupid. Verse 16, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so, I mean, literally it's redeem the time. Like take this time and redeem it to its original purpose because the days are evil. Like, like things are messed up. So inside me, I want the kingdom of God to be there, okay? And then verse 17, don't be foolish. There's, now we need to be told twice not to be stupid. Okay, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Here's the will of the Lord. First, uh, First Thessalonians 5:16. The will of the Lord is that we rejoice always, that we pray without ceasing, unconnect, like we don't lose our connection with God, and then that we give thanks in all things. That's the will of God. Understand the will of God. Verse 18. Don't get drunk. That goes without explanation. Anybody ever regret anything that happened under the influence? Don't get drunk, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, because that's life. Hallelujah. And be thankful, be, have a singing heart, you know, like addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. And some people pay me not to sing out loud, but I mean, it's just like, I have these songs, I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance in my heart. Like when it gets hard, I'm going like, you know what? This is gonna change. And I'm gonna give you thanks, God. I'm gonna let, and I'm gonna let the, the overflow of that be in my speech. Verse 20, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? I mean, that's our whole, that's our most spiritual thing we can do is be thankful. Always and for everything. Like, thanks God. <laughs> that, I mean, you know, like it, this tries us. It refines us and it sanctifies us. This is what Jesus did. Oh my gosh. And then here's the last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And you might hear that and go, I'm not going to submit to nobody. You know what this is saying? It's saying, hey, be helpful. Get along. Let somebody ask you to do something. And you say, my pleasure. That's submitting. You know, it's not, you're not a slave. You're actually bringing the, the nature of God, the humility, the joy into the situation. Are you good? Okay. So how many want help for Thanksgiving? <laughs> help from above, okay? Raise your hand. <laughs> Holy Spirit, would you come on us? Would you, would you reveal to us the wonder of our existence? Would you sanctify us and transform us so that our Thanksgiving is a priestly offering that brings transformation into every situation? Give us boldness, give us joy, give us kindness in everything we do and say in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. amen.